Hey everybody, this is Dr. Chris Griffin, your host, and welcome to the first ever edition of the Dental Headlines Podcast. Just real quick, let me give you guys a, a just an overview of what we're trying to do here. So just like you guys probably, I have a giant pile of journals, uh, newsletters, articles, uh, and a lot of emails that pile up on me every single day, every single week, every single month. And um, I've been lazy about getting to reading all of them. And when I do read them, I just flip through, tear out certain things I need. And you know what? I thought this new year, one of my resolutions would be to make sure that I read as much as humanly possible about our profession and stay up to date as much as anybody possibly can. And I also thought one way to push myself to do that would be to dedicate a podcast uh, every time that I read my stack of journals on my desk to keeping everybody out there updated. And so we're going to call this podcast Dental Headlines, and it's really just going to be a cliff note to the same pile of journals that's probably sitting on your desk right now. So here we go. So first thing I picked up off my desk, and like I said, I'm a little bit behind, but this is not too bad for a dentist, right? Uh, November 8th. ADA news. They always have tons of great news articles in here, but a lot of them don't apply to us uh, or don't apply to a general dentist or a private practice dentist. And I'm both. And this, when I pick out articles for this podcast, it's going to be about general dentistry, uh, private practice, and maybe some technology stuff that I really like. Okay. So uh, here we go. First thing I read, the WHO, World Health Organization, includes three dental preparations in the list of essential medicines for the first time. Now, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not, as far as I know, governed by the WHO. Uh, only thing I know about the WHO is they gave us a lot of trouble during the COVID times. But um, apparently, for the first time ever, they have recognized toothpaste, uh, glass iron or cement, and silver diamine fluoride, which, by the way, I do agree, silver diamine fluoride is awesome. I highly suggest it if you haven't tried it. And uh, Dr. McLean out in Phoenix, she is probably the world expert on that if you want to look up some of her courses. Uh, but this uh, this person uh, here, Dr. Well, yeah, Dr. Jessica Meesk, DDS, has said this marks a major achievement for oral health and public health. And um, as a practicing pediatric dentist who sees a large number of low-income, high-carries risk patients, I have seen the benefits of fluoride, glass or cement, and silver diamine fluoride, and I'm glad that their usefulness is recognized globally as essential. So I don't know how that's going to affect us, but hey, maybe if you don't know what, if you're not using all three of those, check it out. Like I said, uh, go find one of Dr. McLean's courses if you don't know how to use SDF, but it's totally awesome. Okay, what's next in this same ADA news? We have got the November JATA. November JATA finds mouth rinses reduce SARS-CoV-2 and saliva. Well, all right. Thank you, Jada, for doing that research for us. Um, it goes down here to say that the researchers randomly assigned symptomatic patients or participants to use mouth rinse containing 15 milliliters of normal saline, 1% hydrogen peroxide, and 0.12% chlorhexidine gluconate, or 0.5% povidone iodine. All four reduced the SARS-CoV-2 viral load in saliva with a median reduction of 61 to 89% at 15 minutes after rinsing for 60 seconds and 70 to 97% at 45 minutes. Um, so 
you know, we started doing oral mouth rinses when the pandemic hit. I don't know that anybody's officially said that's what you should do. We started, it seemed to make sense. Apparently the JADA did a big research article and that backs it up. So if you're not yet using mouth rinses, hey, let's just add one more thing to the list of things that are included in our essential overhead. Let's maybe we should ask the WHO about essential overhead for dentists because that's definitely headed in the wrong direction. But okay, let's go to the next article. ADA class action lawsuit against Delta Dental ongoing. And I just threw that in there because I love, you know, anytime somebody goes against the big bad Delta Dental, that's not bad for us, right? Um, anyway, I don't know. This Just reading the news here in this article by David Berger, uh, he says that the association alleges that Delta violated federal antitrust laws to restrict competition, reduce reimbursement amounts. Uh, I'm pretty sure that reduced reimbursement amounts are going to be included anytime you're talking about a PPO. So... Um, there you go. And, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not, 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 you know, I'm not currently thinking this is going to affect me too much because down in the article, it says under the, under the court's current scheduling order, the earliest this case potentially could proceed to trial would be sometime in 2024. That's according to the ADA's division of legal affairs. And, uh, they go on to explain that, Hey, the extended timing of this is not unusual. Keep your fingers crossed. This is going to really help you, but Hey, 2024 these days i don't even know if we're going to be around to practice in 2024 so like i said would not keep my fingers crossed that's going to affect us all that much to the better okay uh going on in the same ada news uh hipaa our favorite federal organization does not prohibit healthcare providers from requesting covid19 vaccination status of patients comma employees. This is a story by Mary Beth Versace. And um, yeah, so apparently if you're going to read this, uh, the privacy rule um, only applies to HIPAA covered entities, including health plans, healthcare clearinghouses, and healthcare providers that conduct standard electronic transactions. And in some cases, their business associates. Um, it does not apply to employers and employment records, including records held by covered entities in their capacity as employers and, um, you know, look, this is all pretty boring stuff, but I guess what they're trying to say is that it does not, you know, we can ask people if they've been vaccinated or not. Um, great. One more thing to ask about to potentially tick people off or whatever. So that's what it's, that's been ruled on. Um, some, some good or bad news, depending on how you look at it. Uh, in the government section of the ADA news, the White House framework eliminates dental benefit proposal from spending bill. Well, we all know by now, because I'm a late reader, This the, the spending bill is on thin ice, uh, probably no ice at this point, 34 degrees, wherever that ice is right now, um, because, you know, it doesn't look like it's going to get passed. But back on November the 8th, they had taken out all the dental benefits from that bill. So even if it were to amazingly freeze back over and get passed, um Dental like dental is going to be a part of that. So whether good or bad, you know, I don't know how many of you guys out there deal with government uh, insurance. Um, I would imagine that if you added dental benefits to Medicaid, Medicare, which is different than Medicaid, that it's just going to be a lot more challenging for us to figure out how to get that money and a lot of red tape anyway. So, hey, I'm not too torn up about it. But like I said, that bill is probably not going to pass anyway. So 
And one last article from the ADA News. I thought this was pretty good. It's down in the uh, small print. Experts discuss the transformative power of AI during SmileCon session. Uh, and it goes on to say that the dental industry is, quote, ripe for implementation. This is another story by Mary Beth Versace. She's getting a lot of play in the ADA News these days. Um, I guess she's a pretty good writer. So... Going in the article, it says, uh, for example, AI programs can annotate. These are things AI can do for us. It can, it can annotate radiographs during an appointment to show decay, bone loss, or more, all factors that go into making a clinical diagnosis. Um, this was from a doctor, Dr. Christopher Smiley, general dentist and editor of the Journal of the Michigan Dental Association. He, that's his quote. And um, all factors that go into making a clinical diagnosis. AI certified diagnoses could speed up the approval of dental insurance claims. Yeah, let's um, let's definitely let the robots into our records just to speed up the approval of dental insurance claims. Wouldn't that be great? Um, and dentists can also show the annotations to patients to better communicate with them. How many of y'all have patients that are asking to see their records anyway? I would think that might be a red flag, but okay. AI also facilitates the sharing of patients' information among dental and medical practitioners. Okay. Um, so what, like, we're going to just let the AI handle all the med consults now? Hey, hey, see if uh, Robot Bob over there can get a hold of the cardiologist's office for us. If you're going to aggregate data, you need to do it in a standardized manner. I don't know Dr. Uh, Dr. Zellner said that, uh, Gregory G. Zellner down in the article, and um, Dr. Stanley, I guess these are all AI experts, Dr. Stanley, Kyle Stanley, DDS, uh, he, he did the final quote, the dental industry is really ripe for AI to be implemented, he said, uh, as he hit iRobot to watch again on Netflix. Okay, so we'll see how that goes. AI in dentistry, I thought that was pretty interesting. Just one more thing to think about. Now, what if your AI, I wonder what the HIPAA violation is if your AI violates your HIPAA for you, but the AI was like approved through the, through the insurance company or something. We'll see how that goes, but I don't know. It's interesting. AI is probably coming. AI is in pretty much everything else. So anyway, that's all, that's all the really cool stuff that I gleaned out of the ADA news from November. Who knows if the December issue is in my stack of stuff. We may get to that next week, right? But let's move on to uh, the December issue of Dental Economics, Dental Economics. So this was a once mighty publication. I don't know if you guys remember just how thick this thing was back in the day, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, it is a lot thinner now, I will say that. But they still have some really good articles in there. So the main, this issue in December was, about, uh, was focused on a spotlight on mobile and teledentistry. There we go. I mean, that's, that's just cutting edge, right? There's a picture of a van with a dental chair inside the van and all, you know, Hey, I mean, who, who doesn't want to get their dentistry done in the back of a van? I thought that was pretty cool. So if, you know, if you go on uh, to read the articles in there, I won't bore you with every single article, but, um, one of the biggest articles, uh, one of the main articles, the first article about the mobile intelligence was called the dental care delivery. Well, dental care delivery, the changing tide. And that was um, that was just talking about how, you know, how it's a good idea 
in this day and age to meet people where it's easier for them to meet you. I guess we're talking about, I don't hate to put words in the author's mouth. Uh, there's two authors, uh, Sonia Dunbar, M-H-A-R-D-H, and Melissa Turner, B-A-S-D-H, R-D-H-E-P-E-F-D-A. I don't even know exactly what all those letters mean, but that's a lot of letters. So she must be very educated. Um, I'm really curious about a couple of those. Anyway, uh, but yeah, they, they talk about meeting patients um, in a way that's easier for them to get their treatment. And, you know, I, one time, there was a time when I actually thought about that. I thought it'd be pretty cool, you know, to have like a Ghostbusters type dental ambulance and go out there and have the handheld x-ray and a laptop. And, you know, I could pull teeth like I do on a mission trip or something like that, do triage work, SDF, once again, one of the essential WHO dental medicines. But, um, you know, after thinking about it, gee whiz. Uh, especially with PPO reimbursements and stuff. That's just, uh, that's a tough, your overhead is tough on a deal like that. Now I would say if you got plenty of money and you just hit the lottery or something, and you just want to do something good for people, man, this is probably the way to do it. But um, they going to say in this article, uh, virtual care and mobile delivery are currently revolutionizing the landscape of the industry and quickly propelling the industry into the future. Um, the concept of providing dental services outside the traditional four walls of a brick and mortar practice is not new. However, recent generational shifts and the residual effects of the COVID-19 pandemic have led to changes in patient mindset and have guided dental professionals to quickly explore non-traditional patient touch points. So I think they're really they're a proponent of this idea, and that's fine. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Uh, you know, hey, outside the box. I'm all for it. Once again, though, I will say, seems to me like would be a lot of trouble. Um, inside the four walls, to me, if I'm in one place and the patients come to me, I can certainly do a lot more dentistry in a given amount of time than as if, you know, the patients are here, there, here, there, here, there, and I'm driving out to see them. Once again, if you had all the money in the world, great idea. Probably a little easier to make a living if you keep people inside your four walls. This article also goes on. There's another article here about video consults improving the patient experience. Uh, and increasing practice revenue. I'm, I would like to learn about this, uh, more myself. Uh, so, hey, but I just can't, I have a hard time believing that it's, you know, that teledentistry is really going to help us. Maybe it will. Maybe it will. We'll see. Well, that's the dental economics, the gist of that. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's move on to, oh, here's a good one. AGD Impact. I don't know how many of you guys remember the AGD. I recommend the AGD. I love the AGD. I'm actually speaking at the AGD event in Orlando, the annual event at the end of January, and I'll be speaking on 3D printing twice, not once, but twice. So, uh, or as uh, they used to say on the Andy Griffith show, twice, twice. I love that. So uh, anyway, there, they have a good article this week. Um, it's on sleep apnea. And I know you guys have seen this in your practice because I see it in my practice all the time too. Uh, the name of this article is the dentist role in screening and treating pediatric obstructive sleep apnea. Now I know you, we, we have this every week, if not every day in my practice, kids and the parents says, what do I do about it? He's grinding his teeth. <clears throat> She's grinding her teeth all the time. I don't know what to do. 
Um, and you know what? I don't know what to do either most of the time. At least I used to not because I used to think dental solutions could solve everything. And it turns out sleep apnea is like multi-pronged. It's not just dentistry. Uh, or grinding teeth is not just dentistry, right? It's got some usually some sleep issues involved. So this is a story or an article by Dr. Aaron Glick and uh, Dr. Karen Wirtz and Dr. Gerald Simmons, MD. So uh, Aaron and Karen are dentists and Gerald is an MD. And uh, it's a really good article. Uh, the You know, for one of the first questions, what is, you know, we know what OSA is, right? Obstructive sleep apnea. What is POSA? I didn't know what POSA was. I had to read the article to figure that out myself, right? It should have made sense to me. I mean, I got a lot of patients that are PITAs, but I don't know about POSA. So the POSA is real simple. It's just pediatric oral sleep apnea. Back in the day, when I took all my ortho training from Dr. Big Bob Garrity from uh, Broken Air, Oklahoma, he would always say, get their tonsils out and it'll fix 99% of everything. Well, you know, um, that's probably right. But this article goes on to talk about all of the different things that can cause problems with breathing and at night that can cause other stuff. So um, the, the author's going to say repetitive arousals from sleep cause sleep fragmentation and can be thought of as a form of sleep deprivation with consequences that include, and let's get this list right, hyperactivity, excessive daytime sleepiness, poor daytime concentration, and learning slash behavioral issues. Uh, with more severe degrees of OSA, the oxygen level decreases, causing a cascade of detrimental events that are thought to hinder normal development in a child and enhance systematic inflammation. Now, none of that's good. <laughs> we don't want any of that, right? So, um, so okay, what do we do about it, Doc? Well, if you keep reading, um, they tell you some, some non-dental treatments to try first. Um, weight loss. There you go. Good one. Good one. Uh, nasal corticosteroids. Yeah, I don't know. Montelukast. I don't even know what that is, to be honest with you. I have to look that one up. Um, adenotonsillectomy. So tonsillectomy, like Dr. Big Bob said, yeah, that'll solve 99% of the problems, I would guess. Rapid maxillary expansion. Now, I think this is probably a good idea too, right? The uh, rapid maxillary, you know, we do a lot of braces and when you, when you do, um, rapid palate expanders or nickel titanium palate expanders. It does seem to help with breathing issues a little bit here and there. So I think that's probably right. Uh, and here's one I was surprised at for kids, continuous positive pressure airway CPAP or BiPAP or a non-invasive positive pressure ventilation. Uh, I didn't know that would be an option for a kid, but it's on this list. Uh, craniofacial surgery, mandibular advancement, um, that would also be like the braces thing, probably good idea. Uh, myofunctional therapy, supplemental oxygen and tracheostomy. Now this, uh, this is a pretty comprehensive list. <laughs> I mean, it's like from, from like very not severe to all the way severe, I suppose. So we're not like recommending tracheostomies for most of the kids in my practice, but this is just, you know, it's how these articles, these, it's a medical doctor for goodness sakes. We're just being very comprehensive. Um, now dental treatments, non-surgical dental treatments include the RME, the MA and myofunctional therapy. RME is a fixed appliance that expands the maxillary arch by opening the mid palate suture. Um, and 
the so, yeah the primary increase in the transverse width is is the nasal cavity and the hard palate. Um, and myofunctional therapy involves oral complex strengthening exercises, typically performed by a myofunctional therapist. So you'd be looking at a speech language pathologist, a hygienist, a dentist, or a physician. That's the four professionals they list as people that can help these kids non-surgically. Uh, treatment's going to focus on improving the tone and function of the muscles of the tongue, lip, soft palate, and lateral pharyngeal wall. Um, so anyway, I think it's a really good article. Um, you should know more about this. I didn't know a ton about it until, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. Uh, I've, I've attended a lot of good courses on it. I will give a shout out to Dr. Erin Elliott. She is, um, she actually lectured, uh, she, she lectured at one of my first uh, seminars that I put on back in 2013. She is outstanding. If you want to learn more about this topic, search Erin Elliott DDS and, uh, she will probably hook you up with a course because she is outstanding. Uh, otherwise, and there's other courses out there. I know she's really good. Um, so anyway, I thought that was a good article. So let's move on. Let's move on from the AG, AGD impact. Let's look at a couple of articles in Dentaltown Magazine. I love Dentaltown Magazine. I love Dentaltown. Howard Friend, one of my first mentors, and, um, you know, I, I appreciate everything he's ever done for me. I always like to read the Howard Speets articles. Um, they're more, you know, it's more like a letter to the editor than, than an actual scientific article. So you, I'll let you guys read that if you want to. I will say an article caught, a couple of articles caught my eye in this issue. One is, entitled the PPO pay cut. And it is by Dr. Thomas Giacobi. Uh, now he is a good dude. Uh, I've met the guy. He's awesome. He's a really good guy to work with. I've spoken for dental town a couple of times. I've written an article for him. I did a couple of video courses and he's, he's just an all around good guy. He's got a good article in here and, um, it, it's a good way to talk. He talks about how minimum wage is going up. Uh, forget what the federal minimum wage is. It's going up in um, a lot of big cities. You're looking at, uh, minimum wages from different companies like Bank of America is $21 an hour. Uh, they said they're going to be 25 by 2025. Starbucks, 15 to $23 an hour based on the store. That's minimum wage with a company wide, a minimum wage of 17 bucks. And these, ty- these are the types of companies that are fighting us for our, you know, front office workers and sometimes even people like dental assistants and stuff, they, they will go to other companies because they can just make more money. I just lost an employee, uh, who was one year out of high school to the post office who was going to start her out at age 19 at, um, I think 1750 an hour, maybe that is something. And, and, you know, they have tons of time off, tons of benefit. Anyway, it's Tom's right. There's a lot of stuff going on right now we need to pay attention to as far as rising costs and uh, just more overhead for us, right? But anyway, uh, Tom's solution is he looked at all the PPOs he was taking. He's going to try to drop some PPOs this year, and I think that's a good idea. And speaking of that, uh, there's a there's a really good podcast if you haven't heard it, Dr. Sonny Spira. Uh, Sonny, former Syracuse Orangeman basketball player in the 1980s when they really played basketball. And the Big East was definitely the place to play basketball uh, back then, probably the best in history, in my opinion, as a basketball fan. But anyway, he's got a pod, or he's he he helps out on a podcast now 
um, called the fee for service, uh, Dennis podcast. And, um, he's interviewed me a couple of times and he, uh, we, we have a podcast together. If you, if you care to go hear him talk about how you shouldn't be on PPOs and me talk about, uh, 3d printing, which is pretty much all I talk about these days in lectures. Um, we did a podcast that, that published about a month ago of the fee for service Dennis podcast. So anyway, that's my little plug for that. But, um, Tom's solution. Yeah. The PPO pay cut. If you're going to have rising overhead and PPOs are not only not rising uh, with the pay they give you, but many times uh, either remaining even or lowering, you got to think about doing something different. You just can't, you know, maybe it'd be better to have fewer staff and uh, fewer PPOs than what you've got right now if you're taking a lot of PPOs. So that was a really good article. Also, I love it when Dentaltown does these little graphics. So they do these little surveys and... Um, and so this month's clinical technology poll is um, is the information. Uh, let's see there today. It's uh, how other practices operate, what's working, what isn't, how dentistry is evolving. So they always have a few little things that are different. Uh, the first poll, have you spent more than $20,000 on a single piece of clinical equipment in, or clinical technology in the past three years? Now, this was interesting, <laughs> right? 20 grand, that's a good number. Yes. 50%, no, 50%. So 50% of dentists have spent 20000 or more on one piece of technology. 50% have not in the past three years. That is interesting. Uh, if you buy a digital scanner, if you buy, well, a 3D printer is not even going to cost you that. So, I, I mean, if I had not purchased a scanner, another scanner, maybe I would have had to say no. But it was interesting, 50-50. Um, besides cost, what is the biggest obstacle in adopting new technology into the practice? Uh, 26% said com compatibility and integration. 26% said logistics or disruption of switching to the new system. 24% said finding time to train myself and the team. And 24%, I'm just content with what I have. Just forget all this stuff. And uh, that is so cool because that is li literally split in four ways equally. So there's a lot of people out there that have they've, they've formed into four different camps. As to why they're not, you know, why are you not getting a new digital scanner? Why are you not getting a comb beam? Why are you not getting 3D printing? And it's these four reasons. Compatibility, uh, and integration. That's a problem. Disruption of switching a new system. Lord knows. My gracious. It's awful to switch softwares of any kind. Oh my goodness. Uh, finding, and I, I thought this would be number one, finding time to train myself and the team. I mean, I thought that was number one. That's just one of four parts that's equal and, and 25%, 24% say, Hey, I just don't care. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, do you take digital impressions? 62%. Yes. 38%. Wait a minute, I'm wrong. 62% no. What? Are you kidding me? 62% of dentists say no, they don't take digital impressions yet. Are you kidding? 38% yes. Listen, uh, scanners are so cheap now. Goodness gracious. Um, well, I say cheap, but I mean, for $20,000, you can get a scanner. And I guess... If you have not got one yet, you probably just don't know how good they are. I don't sell scanners and I don't get anything out of it, but I'm telling you guys, stuff just fits better when you use a scanner. So anyway, uh, was a little surprised with that one. Now here's another one. What sort of camera do you use for patient records? A 29% said dental specific camera. 24%, yeah, 24% said a DSLR. 
I have got both of those. I've got a Shofu Dental Specific and a uh, Canon DSLR. We use the Shofu 100% of the time and um, the DSLR 0% of the time because it's harder to use. Um, 11% said a compact digital camera. I don't know. Maybe that's intraoral camera. I don't know what that is exactly. Compact digital camera. We do use an intraoral camera, but check this one out. The big number one, the big kahuna, 36% said they use a smartphone camera. So 36% of people are using their iPhone or their Android to take, uh, patient records. Now, I would, I have read, I, can, I wish I had, could put my hands on, I read like a letter to the editor recently where some dentist was just ripping on people for saying use, they use their iPhone for pictures. He's like, well, you've already committed HIPAA violations, just letting you know. I don't know if he's right or wrong. I have no idea, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, what percentage of your insurance payments are received via EFT? Boy, I hate those things too, but anyway. 51% less than half, 33% more than half, 16% not an option. Uh, I will tell you it's hard not to be an option because sometimes we'll like send letters and say, Hey, we want to check and they send it anyway. But, um, I guess if I had to vote on this, I would be in the 51% less than half, but 100% more than I want to be. But, um, Anyway, that's really good stuff from Dentaltown Magazine this week uh, in the uh, was it December issue? December issue. Uh, so let's look at one last thing here, guys. And uh, I appreciate you hanging with me. Try to keep this one short, but it's some more polls. I love polls. Love polls. So this is coming to us from the uh, JDT, which is the uh, the Journal of the National Association of Dental Labs, National Association of Dental Labs. And they have got a really cool article about from, 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 uh, Dr. Greg Drevenstedt, uh, 3D printing continues to grow. And I, you know what? I love, if you, if you're listening, you're going to hear some 3D printing stuff because I love it. Okay. But, um, I thought this was all really cool stuff. So, this is talking about labs, not dentists, but I will tell you that labs are kind of a harbinger of what's to come for us. And so labs are really adopting 3D printing. So they asked average cases per day produced with 3D printers, uh, one to nine for the dental labs is 43%, 10 to 49, 34%, 50 to 150, 14%, 150 to 249, 5%, 250 plus 4%. So it's still pretty, you know, 3D printing, I guess, is still pretty small, even among labs, smaller than I expected. Maybe just because I'm so into it. Uh, this is going to help you guys out if you have not thought about 3D printing. Here are all the applications and what percent they do, uh, the labs. So 3D print applications, uh, 77% of them use, use, um, 3D printing to do the models for Crown and Bridge. And if you've done any kind of anything now, a lot of labs will just take your um, uh, vinyl polysiloxane impression and scan it into a digital file and then send you the 3D printed model. Uh, so that's 70, so that's almost all, you know, 77%. 50% are doing splints and night guards that way. Uh, boy, by the way, just as an aside, a 3D printed night guard is so much better fitting uh, than what we've done in the past. Um, Models for removable, 47%. Crown and bridge temporaries, 44%. Surgical guides, 44%. Uh, we do all of our own surgical guides now with 3D printing, and I love it, and it's awesome. Uh, impression trays, 35%. That's weird. Like, that's like doing something digital to go back analog, but 
you know, that's what they're doing. Uh, models for clear liners, 30%. And, um, we do our own stuff in office too on that. And that is awesome. Um, crown and bridge final 30%. We've just started doing 3D printed crowns and that is awesome. Uh, dentures, 26%. Uh, we do our immediate dentures. Um, we do immediate dentures. Uh, here in our office, 3D printed also. And I will tell you that they're awesome. Um, what else do they do? Partials. I don't know. I, I would love it. Only 11% are doing flexible partials. That would be cool though, because we, we probably would have a need for that more than most. Um, and I will just one more poll here that they've got in their magazine barriers to adopting 3D printing applications, concern over quality or aesthetics. Extremely likely or likely they're equal 27% each. Upfront cost, uh, that is number two, 28%. Um, clinical adoption, 27%. Learning a new workflow, 27%. And securing buy-in from stakeholders. I don't even know what that means. I guess that's a lab thing I don't understand. But so the biggest thing is quality, uh, concern over the aesthetics. That's their barrier. But I will tell you that the aesthetics are pretty good. So I don't know why that's number one. Um, Upfront investment is not that much, like less than 20 grand for the 3D printing stuff, but that's number two. Clinical adoption. I guess they're worried that the dentists are not going to get digital scanners if they invest in the 3D printing stuff and the learning the new workflow. Hey guys, people just have to learn new workflows. And one last little article I got uh, out of Dental Product Shopper out of the November, December issue. Uh, and I, I told you, like I briefly mentioned, like the labs, some of them are doing dentures, but not a lot. And they're not as strong right now, or at least in my hands, in my office with what resins I use. As, uh, like they're great for immediate dentures and interim dentures. Yeah. But I, I did not want to do like permanent dentures that I expected to last five, 10, 15 years with it because, you know, it's just not quite as strong. But good news. Uh, you know, loose tone 199 is widely considered the gold standard. Um, in, dentures uh and so um they did not have previously did not have a resin that i could use in my sprint ray um printer to print denture bases out of so you know i i would just order regular i would order uh my dentures the permanent dentures out from a lab but now just announced denture systems Lucitone digital print denture system. Densplasterona recently added new denture tooth materials and indications to the Lucitone digital print denture system. Uh, they're going to allow production of nearly all full arch dentures. In addition, uh, they have validated a SEGA and Sprint Ray 3D printers for use with Lucitone in late 2021. Now, I haven't been able to buy it that I know yet, and it's 2022, but I am all about getting my hands on some of this because if it is as good as I hope it is, I will then be able to do 100% of my dentures in, in house and we will not have to worry about these old denture labs that are too slow and getting stuff, um, getting stuff up to date any longer. So that is it guys. That is my, that's my dental headlines update for this week. Uh, hope you guys have got some good out of this. And, uh, maybe you, this will let you just sort of, uh, not worry about the big pile of journals growing on your desk every day, just like the journals growing on my desk seemingly daily. So, uh, one last plug as we get out of here. Um, if you guys, uh, you know, if you guys are interested in 3D printing, 
um, which is all I really care about clinically these days. We are doing some lectures, like I said, July. We're doing the AGD meeting down in Orlando. That'd be a fun trip. We're actually going to do Disney and Universal while we're down there, uh, my family and me. And um, also, we have got 3D printing workshops coming up that we do, two, little two-day workshops. Uh, if you're interested in that, you can go to simple3dprinting.com. That's where our live event uh, our next live event schedule is. So I'd love to have you guys if you're interested in something like that. Uh, and I will try to get back with you guys next week with more dental headlines. So we will see you next time. <laughs>